Philippians chapter 4, 4 to 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learnt or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I'm sure as we've been working through the book of Philippians together, you have realised that words and phrases are often repeated. This is one of the benefits of reading books of the Bible sequentially and as one piece of work because we recognise it as having unifying features and themes. And so this morning, we begin our passage with this repeated phrase in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now, obviously, the point of rejoicing is important to Paul because he said it before in chapter 1, verse 18, chapter 2, 17 to 18, and chapter 3, verse 1. As you can see from how often he speaks about rejoicing in God. He seems to think that we have cause to rejoice as well. So I have a question for you. What brings you joy? What do you rejoice in? Is it a person, a spouse? Is it a child or maybe a friend? An activity that you enjoy doing? Is it going fishing, playing sport, baking, watching movies? Or do you, do you enjoy your work? Now, there are many things that we enjoy doing. And we can finally, we can rejoice in finally participating in those things when we do. But I don't, I don't know about you, but the things I find joy in only give me joy for a short time. An example of something I enjoy doing is playing my steel body resonator guitar that I built when I was 17. I enjoy playing it well because firstly I built it there's a sense of pride in that also it looks different to other guitars and also it sounds different it's got like a twangy banjo sound which I quite enjoy however my joy can quickly dissipate as I realize actually it's not a great guitar and it has too many imperfections. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a great player as well, so it doesn't sound that great. And I lose interest in it. Also, and more importantly, it doesn't solve my problems. I might play it when I'm stressed, and, and it brings a small sense of joy in that way. But it doesn't bring comfort because it can't help me. It can't help me with the, with the, with the, the problems uh, that I had, which were the you know, very reason why I picked up the guitar to play. 
it can't solve those problems. However, Paul stresses again and again our need to rejoice in God. For Paul, the answer to life's problems and suffering is the command to rejoice in God. Oh well, for Paul, rejoicing is not primarily a feeling like when your sport team, sports team wins a game, but it is an active choice to rejoice in God even when we don't feel like it. And to rejoice in God is a sign of our relationship with God. So today we're going to look at why and how we can rejoice in God always. Our first uh, point today is we rejoice because God is near. Then our second point is we rejoice because we have the peace of God. And thirdly, we're going to, we're going to look at we rejoice when we focus on the good life. So our first point, we rejoice because God is near. After Paul has told the Philippians that they are to rejoice, he gives the command that the Philippians' gentleness be known to everybody. Now, by gentleness, Paul is meaning an attitude of forbearance and favorability towards everyone. So we learn that to rejoice in God is to impact all of human life. And in this case, it is how we interact with others. We are to show gentleness to others in every circumstance and to everyone. Now, in a world that encourages the mentality of getting ahead at the possible expense of others, in a world that is cutthroat and dog-eat-dog, -dog, this makes us and how we interact with others stand out. Now, we saw firsthand that during the restrictions, the people panic bought, didn't they? And they were, they were, in doing that, focusing on themselves instead of showing gentleness to others. Well, Paul says that this should not be our attitude to others. Paul's command to show gentleness is applicable in all situations because it is at all times. However, it is even more important to remember to show gentleness when it is hard to do so. So, when you have no reason to be joy joyful, how do you act? Is it self-centered or with gentleness? When life is difficult or when others act wrongly against you, how do you act? Paul is adamant that the act should be one of gentleness. The reason for this is that the Lord is near. Our reason for gentleness is God's closeness. So the phrase, the Lord is near, communicates two things. One, it communicates that God is near to act in judgment and mercy. And that two, God is near to us when we rejoice. So firstly, God is near and approaching to act in judgment and mercy. This means that we are not the ones to act in judgment. We're not out to get our own, but we trust God in acting justly. When the inevitable difficulties in relationships happen, 
we should be more concerned with God's coming judgment and Jesus' return than our immediate retaliation. So we act with gentleness and forbearance because we know that God is near. But secondly, we also act in gentleness because God is near in his presence. When we rejoice in God, we are near to him because our thoughts are fixed on him. We rejoice in his character and his grace shown to us through Jesus. So we show gentleness to others because we are near to God and rejoice in him. We do not worry about getting ahead, but about the joy we have in Jesus. But how do we draw near to God? Now, when life gets difficult and there is no way ahead, how do we know that God is near? On that second point, we rejoice because we have the peace of God. So Paul's answer to the questions above is prayer. He says this in verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. The great opposition to joy is anxiety. And anxiety has no place in the life of a Christian. Now, I want to say that this isn't to say that if you struggle with anxiety or depression, that you are somehow sinful or less of a Christian. This this isn't true. But anxiety is in opposition to the gospel that our sin and wrongs are forgiven through faith in Jesus. And that we also place our trust in God. So in having anxiety or depression, you aren't doing anything wrong. But it's also not what God wants for you either. Peter says this in 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, verse 7, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. God recognises that anxiety can be a struggle, but he also opens a way for anxiety to be dealt with through him. So the answer to anxiety and the reason that anxiety shouldn't be present in the Christian life is that we can go to God in prayer. So we can learn from uh, this verse that one, this isn't just praying for the big things in our lives or others, but bringing everything to God in prayer. God becomes our first point of call in every situation no matter if it's good or bad. My parents and many other parents, I'm sure would agree that children do this constantly. When I was a young child, I would tell my parents everything that happened during the day, whether it was good or bad, whether they were present or not, I would just tell them. As a child, my parents were that sounding board and support. Even if it was just an open ear. 
so it should be with us to God. We tell him everything because he listens and because God is at hand, God is near in his closeness. He is ever present and always willing to listen. And also God listens and he also acts on our prayers. And number two, we learn that we don't pray without partiality or without passion, but we plead also. Paul says that we should approach God in every situation by prayer and petition. This does not mean that we always pray with intense pleading because sometimes you don't need to. You don't need to plead with God that the next door neighbor's dog will be quiet at night. Um, but, but you will need to pray. And sometimes though, we need to have passion that our prayers are heard, that they're a concern of ours. You know, some situations when we have sickness or someone we know has sickness, we need to have passion in our prayers sometimes. Or when something tragic has happened in our lives. When we want God's help, it is right to plead passionately to God for his help, knowing he has the power to take care of the situation. Point number three is we must always remember to thank God. Prayer to God is not just asking God for things like a teenager asking to loan the car for a Saturday night from his parents. Part of prayer is realizing that God is someone worthy of praise. The very fact that we can go to God in prayer is because of what he has done through Jesus. So it is only right that when we go to God in prayer, we need and should spend time reflecting on how God has been good to us and thanking him. But what is the point of praying? What, what happens when we pray? Well, Paul is swift in verse 7, saying that the point of prayer is that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The idea of peace, the idea of peace of God, is not a new concept when Paul was writing to the Philippians. This is an idea that originates in the Old Testament in the word shalom. Now, the word shalom is a Hebrew word. We've probably heard it uh, during our life. But it's, all, it's, it's nuanced in meaning, but it's usually translated as peace in your Bible. But it has a wider meaning of wholeness, completeness, and soundness. And seeking universal shalom is an important part of how God has operated throughout history. So at the beginning of creation, when God first created everything, everything 
was in Shulam. Everything was whole, it was complete, it was sound. And our relationship with God was in Shalom, it was complete, it was whole, it was sound, it was good. But from the, from the entrance of sin and humanity's fall, universal Shalom, wholeness and completeness has been lost. This broken shalom plagued how humans interacted with each other and interacted with God. All of creation was broken. Even in the nation of Israel, where shalom was supposed to be evident, humanity's natural desire to sin was displayed. However, prophets foresaw a time when God would bring universal peace to everyone. And then Jesus came and it was through him that peace with God was achieved. This is what it says in Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Therefore since we have been justified through faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace, shalom through Jesus Christ and this peace of God is given to us. The result of prayer is evidence of this peace secure in Jesus because of what he has done, reconciling the world to him. So we need not, we, we have no need to worry or have anxiety when we have this peace of God. This peace of God is that completeness and reconciliation with God, demonstrated through our prayers to God. So how then do we live life when we aren't praying? Do we sit back and relax? Or what, what do we think about? This, and this brings us to our third point. We rejoice when we focus on the good life. Paul's answer to those previous questions is that we focus on what is good. Here is what he says. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. We're told here to actively pursue what is good and seek it out. We don't, seek, we don't seek out the bad and the things that are contrary to what God views as good. We sit back and do things that we know, as, as we don't sit back and do things that we know are sinful. But we actively pursue good things. This means to seek what is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, or admirable, it is to actively think about it and pursue it. These excellent and praiseworthy things don't just fall into your lap. No, we need to step away from the bad and focus on the good. Second, secondly, we don't need 
We, we need, sorry, we need to not fall into focusing on the banal or the ordinary. We don't fill our time and head with cat videos or Facebook feeds. And I'm guilty of this. You know, when I get bored, I want to switch off my brain or, you know, procrastinate sometimes. I seek the ordinary things. These aren't the things that are excellent or praiseworthy. Now, I'm probably not going to get a congratulations for spending my time on my phone. The problem with focusing on the ordinary things is that they are not true or noble or right, pure, lovely or admirable. I'm not seeking the excellent or praiseworthy. I'm seeking the in-between. I'm filling my, heads, my head and thoughts not with the qualities of what God deems as good, but something else. So how do we do that? How do we focus on the good life and thoughts? Well, verse 9 says this, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. We're told to put Paul's example into practice. Paul holds himself as an example of what it means to focus on the excellent and praiseworthy. And we have seen this exemplified in the fact that Paul, well, Paul is writing this letter while in prison. While in prison, he does not lament or feel sorry for himself. He does not blame God or feel himself with hatred towards his enemies. No, instead, what Paul does is he writes a letter to the Philippians praising their faith and pointing them in what it means to be a citizen of heaven. Paul instead focuses on what his role to spread the gospel is and his future hope of being with Jesus in heaven. Paul is an example of what it means to rejoice in God even when times are difficult. He focuses on the good and the excellent and the lovely. And Paul is not the only one who has set this example. Now, if we want to learn more about how to rejoice in God in every circumstance, then there are countless people throughout history who we can learn from. So I encourage you um, to read or listen to stories about people who, like Paul, have focused on what is excellent and praiseworthy. These are people who have gone to prayer, gone to God in prayer in every circumstance and whose gentleness has been evident to everyone because they have known that God is at hand. God is near. His presence is ever present. Now we have examples like C.T. Studd, Corey Ten Boom, Charles Spurgeon, Martin Luther, Bonhoeffer, and the list goes on and on. And the result, by learning about how these people have lived their lives, 
despite suffering and difficulties. Well, the result of this is we are encouraged to do the same. So an example of someone who focused on the, the praiseworthy and the excellent, who brought all of his anxieties to God and whose gentleness was evident to everyone was Dmitri, who was a Russian, Russian Christian who was arrested for his faith in the 60s. You know, while imprisoned, he experienced inexplicable psychological, emotional and physical torture. Nick Rifkin, he writes of Dmitri's testimony in his book, The Insanity of God, about the daily routine that Dmitri had. He writes, for 17 years in prison, every morning at daybreak, Dmitri would stand at attention by his bed. As was his custom, he would face the east, raise his arms in praise to God, and then he would sing a heart song to Jesus. The other prisoners would laugh, curse and jeer. They'd bang metal cups against the iron bars in angry protest. They threw food and sometimes human waste to try to shut him up and extinguish the only true light shining in that dark place every morning at dawn. And, and Dimitri would also write down every Bible verse he could remember. And because of this, well, Dimitri was going to be executed. So on the morning of his execution, he was taken by the guards. But before he entered the courtyard, this is what Nick Rifkin says in his book, 1,500 hardened criminals stood at attention by their beds. They faced the east and they began to sing. The heart song that they had heard Dimitri sang to Jesus every morning for all those years. And the result of this, well, the guards were so afraid of an uprising that they didn't execute him. Dimitri's story is one of bravery and trust in God. He focused on the excellent things of God and he brought all of his anxieties to God in praise, in prayer and worship. And it was because of his example that people saw his gentleness and saw um, who he was and followed him. And it was because of all of these things that he had the peace of God, even in those incredibly difficult times. Now, showing this extreme case it doesn't diminish other examples in this church or any other church. No, just as we have learned from those in the past, so we need to learn from those in the present who we know. And what a great privilege that is to learn from others of how God has worked in their lives. So I'd encourage you to find someone in our church or someone you know who does follow, God's, follow Paul's example 
of focusing on the excellent and praiseworthy and learn from them. Learn how to focus on the excellent and praiseworthy. And if you're one of those people who know from experience of how going to God in prayer and petition and having a gentleness that is evident to everyone and focusing on what is excellent and praiseworthy, then I would encourage you, share it with others. others. Teach and mentor. Help people so they may be able to rejoice in God always. So the reason for this, to follow others' example, well, is as Paul says in verse 9, and the peace of God will be with you. The God who reconciled humanity to himself, who is making complete his creation and renewing humanity, well, he will be with you. Well, we rejoice in God because he is present with us and he gives us peace because he is present with us. God is not far away, but always near. Let us be encouraged by that. And let us rejoice in this news and draw near to God in prayer and action. Let me pray. Lord Heavenly Father, I would like to thank you that we have found peace in you. That through Jesus, through his um, death and sacrifice and resurrection and ascension to you, that you have brought humanity to you, that you have made peace and that we can have this peace through Jesus. So I pray that because of that we may we may rejoice in you and that we may um, focus on what is good, focus on what is true and excellent and that our actions of gentleness and forbearance to others will be evident. We, we also apologise and say sorry for how we have focused on what is bad and how we have not rejoiced in you. And we pray that by your Spirit you will help us. In Jesus' name, Amen.